Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Sloane, your bartender for today. And I'm Trish, your crime tender. And today we're just going to bring you a few different Halloween crimes to keep on theme for spooky season. This is our last week of spooky season, I believe. And Sad day. That's not to say that spooky season ends <laughs> in our heart no. by any means. We're two spooky bitches. Year round. Year round. Just, it's not worldwide acceptable to be in spooky season year round. So, this will be our last week of spooky season here with y'all until next year. We look forward to the next season too. But in the meantime, let's enjoy these last couple of episodes together. to another bartending lesson with Sloan. Today's drink is definitely like a party trick more so than a drink. I mean it tastes good. It's just not a high alcohol content to it. Yeah. But this one is known as like the zombie brain or the bloody brain or on I think TikTok. Yeah I've I first saw this through Tipsy Bartender like 10 plus years ago. So, what you do is you take your shot glass, you put half an ounce to an ounce of peach schnapps in there, depending on your preference. I'm doing half an ounce because peach schnapps is sweet AF. <laughs> yes. Well, and then, so is everything else going into the shot. So is everything else. So, for us, in our boat, half an ounce of peach schnapps. To that, you're going to pour half an ounce of Bailey's on top of that, and it's going to kind of float around the top like a brain. Then you're going to take a spoon, if you have a bar spoon that's preferred, but really any regular spoon can work. Put your spoon against the edge of the shot glass, like on the inside. Don't be a dumbass, not on the outside. We're pouring (laughs) this into the shot. So put the spoon against the inside of the shot glass and then drop a few drops of grenadine. The, the cherry, the red cherry juice. Yes. Just drop that in. It's going to float to the bottom, make it look like it's a bloody brain. Ha ha ha. Get it now? The bloody brain shot. The zombie brain shot. And yeah, this one is definitely more of a party trick. I, I it, It's good. It is very sweet. It's not something that I would say, go to the bar and order this if you want to get fucked up. You're going to get, you might get there, but you're going to have an upset stomach. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is definitely more of like, if you're having a Halloween party for your friends and you want to impress them, this is a great party trick. If you're like a good themed shot. Right, right. This is the drink for you. So, I hope you enjoy this one. If you try it out, let me know how it works out for you. Alright. So, as we said today, I'm just going to be doing... I got three different Halloween crimes. I just decided to do like a few different random ones because... Like, the two that I, like, I cover first, I wanted to try to do solo episodes, but there's just not enough. So then I was like, well, I found three that there's not too much information. So I was like, I can just combine them all. We also still want to apologize if we sound 
a little off. We are both still on the struggle bus, still dealing with this cold. This whole weather change is kicking my butt. My allergies and sinuses don't know what the hell to do. So, I'm a lot better today than I was, like, beginning of the week for me. <laughs> like, oh, it was bad. Um, and then Sloane is still <laughs> on her struggle bus. I'm still on the struggle bus. I was up sick all night long from our freaking Mexican food. It bit me in the ass. And then I got the teeth problems. Yeah. I got a lot going on in my world. And they're still working on the roof. The roof and stuff. So, again, if you hear anything. The roof is not on fire. (laughs) It just sounds like somebody is playing basketball up there. Yes. So, just bear with us. But let's go ahead and get into our first Halloween crime. So, Halloween circa 2011. Chicago resident Maria Adams, age 49, was spending Halloween with her acquaintance, Liddell Peoples, age 55. They were at Liddell's residence of 7,150 South Winchester Avenue, located on the south side of Chicago. So, already kind of a little rougher of a neighborhood, I guess you could say. When suddenly, an argument started over Halloween candy. Yes, you heard me. Halloween candy from a 55-year-old and a 49-year-old. Sloan's going, if it was the Reese's, I'd be here for it. (laughs) Uh, So, Liddell claimed he had Halloween candy that was missing and blamed Maria. The argument soon escalated. Sometime during the fight, Maria threw plates at Liddell, in which one of them happened... Well, they all shattered, but, like, one of the shattered plates ended up striking him above the eye and cutting him. It's said that this happened in self-defense, but without being there, we can only speculate. So... Liddell countered the plates being thrown at him by stabbing Maria several times with several steak knives around 2.30 p.m. Liddell then called police to report the attack and Maria was transported to the hospital. Maria was admitted and placed in critical condition. Liddell was arrested and charged with attempted murder and aggravated domestic battery. He was booked in Cook County Jail, and a judge ordered him to be held on $2 million bond. On November 5th, Maria succumbed to her injuries, passing away at the hospital. Liddell's charges were then upgraded to first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. So, I guess more of that story is, it's only Halloween candy. It's not worth stabbing anybody over. I get it. We say that if you touch, you know, if you touch Sloane's Reese's. I will kill <laughs> you. <laughs> I divorced my husband over macaroni and cheese. Let's not find out what happens over Reese's. <laughs> yeah, jail time is not the answer. It's Some things are worth it. That's between you 
and your moral compass. I got a lot of pride. And I don't back down from shit. It's a problem. <laughs> it's the Taurus in you. <laughs> oh, it's the Taurus. But you want me on your side if we're in a fight. Uh, Loyal to the death. Jesus. You want me in your corner. <laughs> Our next Halloween crime again takes place in 2011 in Omaha, Nebraska this time. A, a man named Frank Alba wanted to play some pranks on some trick-or-treaters. It's fine. You do you. Just, you know. Don't be unreasonable. Well, Frank decided he was going to hide in some bushes outside his friend Hilda Martina, yeah, Martinez's Omaha, Nebraska home. Frank was drenched in fake blood and had a real chainsaw with, like, with him as a prop. You know, real chainsaw. It's a great thing to use as a prop. It's a brilliant idea. Yeah. He was playing the part of a deranged butcher. So, now insert our poor little victim here. 12-year-old Leslie Garcia and a group of friends were out trick-or-treating when they stumbled upon Frank's trap. Frank jumped out of the bushes and rubbed his chainsaw, obviously scaring Leslie, who decided to run from the prankster. Her friends ran in other directions. She bolted off the curb and into the path of an F-250 truck. She was struck by the truck and sustained injuries to her head, neck, arms, legs, back, and spine. She miraculously survived and her family sued Frank, Hilda, and American Family Insurance. Leslie recovered, but still has permanent injuries, according to her family. She will suffer pain for the rest of her life from some of her injuries. The family claims the insurance company refused to engage in good-faith negotiations to settle the claim. Frank was a guest of the home that was insured by the company. Hilda was being sued since she neglected to stop Frank before someone was injured. And I can't find any articles telling me, like, the outcome of the trial, but I still wanted to include this case just because not all true crime has to, you know, end in murder and that. Sometimes it's, like, petty little true crime, but, like, still, I'm like, it's getting Halloween. Let's all use our brains. You can, you know, you can go about scaring people and that, but do it in a safe way. Like, my parents live in, like, a little neighborhood that, like, they get just, like, a handful of trick-or-treaters. It's just, like, the kids in the neighborhood and that. And our one neighbors that live on the corner of, like, it's still in the neighborhood, but, like, they're the corner house of this little, like, intersecting street that just wraps around the neighborhood. They love to set up, like, a scary thing every year. And, like, the kids love it, but, like... 
it's just so funny because you'll be sitting there in my parent because you can sit from my parents' porch and literally like watch it all happen. You will see them and they get scared and you'll see it scatter and the parents are just sitting on the street like laughing and then they'll be like, All right, we gotta go this way, this house next. And it's just so funny. Sometimes they rope my parents into like being a part mm-hmm. of it too, so it's like two houses in a row that you get mm-hmm. scared of. <laughs> Like so that's the second. This third one is definitely the longer of all of them. It's the one I could find the most on. But I like I said, I really wanted to do those first two just because I'm like, of course, when you search Halloween crimes, like something like being stabbed over candy would pop up and then like a prank gone wrong. I'm just glad that like the little girl is okay for the most part (laughs) but my third and final Halloween crime is that of Peter Fabiano Peter was a 35 year old owner of a hair salon on Halloween night 1957 just after 11 p.m. he heard his doorbell and answered the door He was slightly annoyed since trick-or-treating should have ended hours ago. When he answered the door, he saw a trick-or-treater that he noticed was taller than most of the previous and had an odd appearance, even by Halloween standards. The trick-or-treater was described as having a grotesque, garishly painted face with a domino mask and men's clothing, blue jeans, a khaki jacket, and red gloves. They held up a paper bag that concealed a deadly secret. Peter asked, it's a little late for this, isn't it? To which he got the response, no, in a deep voice. And then Peter was shot by a gun that had been concealed in the brown bag. Hearing the shot, his wife rushed to the door, but the killer had fled. His wife, Betty, was described as having red hair and just being... Good old red-haired beauty. She told police she was 36 and had two teenage children from a previous marriage. Her and Peter appeared to have the picture-perfect relationship with Peter even being her hairdresser. Peter was a successful owner and operator of the local beauty salon, had served in World War II, And the crime happened in Sun Valley, California, northwest of North Hollywood, which is actually where our killer fled to. So, insert this name. Like, I was like, when I first saw it, I was like, how? And then I was like, well, that's an interesting. People, you know, complain about how some people spell names today. This name is literally Golden, but it's spelled G-O-L-D-Y-N-E. Okay. <laughs> so, Golden, Goldie, however you want to say it. I mean, we know somebody that spells it G-O-L-D-O-N. I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> that was odd enough. I didn't think it could get worse than Sun- that. Uh, a little sunshine. I miss him. <laughs> a little baby sunshine. <laughs> but, as I was saying, insert Miss... Goldine Pizer. Goldine Pizer was a 43-year-old, and she was a 
bookish medical secretary and an unlikely prospect for a cold-blooded killer. She, like Betty, had red hair. She was the daughter of a furniture store owner. She graduated from Los Angeles High School in 1934 and apparently married a decade later, but was either divorced or widowed when she met Joan Rabble. Joan was 40 and lived in Hollywood, a mile from Golden's Bungalow. I'm having a hard time saying all this because I'm so stuffed up. And I'm like, I need to be able to breathe right to say this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, not much is known about Joan, but it's said that she was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A newspaper at the time reported that she immigrated to the U.S. from Lithuania. So, I mean, it's all over what, like, her possible, like, I guess, origins are. She pursued careers in photography and writing, sailing several times from the San Pedro Harbor near Los Angeles to Honolulu for inspiration, but in 1957, she was divorced and working for Peter uh, Fabiano in his studio, not his studio, his salon. And that's where she met Betty and became close to her and Peter. The sta- like the status of family friends soon became complicated, though. Joan claimed that uh, Betty said Peter had a dark side and that he was abusive and controlling. I feel like that's not really anything new for like that time era. Mm-hmm. I mean... If you've seen the play Chicago, I mean, yeah. uh, he had it coming. He had it coming. <laughs> uh, but Joan soon began to obsess about freeing Betty, who she loved, from Peter to live another kind of life. In 1957, Joan met Golden over coffee, telling her all about the Fabianos, and she described Peter as pure evil. During a three-month period, Joan talked Golden into becoming an unpaid hit woman. She gave her money to buy a gun and borrowed a getaway car from another friend. On Halloween, she sent a disguised Golden to the Fabiano residence with the gun inside a paper trick-or-treat bag. It only took one shot, and Joan drove her accomplice home and with one little instruction. Forget you ever knew me. Because it's that easy. (laughs) Yeah. The next morning, Golden realized Joan never told her how to dispose of the gun, so she took it to the chic (laughs) Bullock's flagship store in downtown Los Angeles and dumped it into a storage locker. (laughs) Two weeks later, the gun was found by detectives who questioned Golden, and she was ready to talk. Both Golden and Joan were arrested for murder. In court, Golden often cried and appeared stricken with remorse, but Joan was hollow-eyed, stone-faced, and smiling nonchalantly. Golden initially pled not guilty by reason of insanity. She claimed that Joan had cast a spell over her and that she was helpless to resist. 
It says they were each sentenced to five years to life in prison. But it's unclear how much time they actually served. To this day, speculation is placed on Betty and Joan's relationship. May believe they shared a sort of like semi-lesbian relationship or one that was like abnormal and full of jealousy. Some believe that Betty actually engineered the death of her husband due to the abuse. But it's very unclear as to what like the true story here is. Golden ended up passing away in 1998 in Los Angeles. Betty sold the salon after Peter's death and appears to have remarried in 1966. She passed away in 1999 at the age of 81 in Palm Desert, uh, California, which would have made her 39 at the time of Peter's death and not 36 like most people believed her to be lying about. And as for Joan, she disappeared after the murder. No one seems to know what happened to her. Just like no one really knows what happened to, uh, like, where she came from. So, Joan's just a thing of mystery, which... <clears throat> call that either Halloween, spooky time, witchery, or... Mischief. A, right? <laughs> but... Straight up mischief. That is my last story. Like I said, I just... I stumbled upon, like, all of these, and I was like... I guess I could make it like a little mini episodes just in time for Halloween. Yeah. But I hope you enjoyed it. If you if you like like having multiple stories in like one, maybe we can do a few like that cuz there's definitely like stuff I'll stumble on. I'll be like there's no information. But maybe I'll start uh making like a little list of like the ones that there's not much on it can be like and then this and see like if there's anything like can kind of tie in together but that is our i guess cases for today so with that being said we'll uh ship you off to our last call welcome back to another last call with sloan today we are going to do fun ish facts about haunted houses I did not look ahead to this, so I don't know how fun or how scary <laughs> these are. We will dive in together. We talking like put together haunted houses or uh, uh <laughs> or we like... will find out together. <laughs> I was like, where are we talking like haunted haunted houses? I knew that if I looked into this, I would not stick to it. So <laughs> anyways, fun fact number one. One of the first haunted houses dates back to ancient Rome. In 81, Pliny, Pliny the Younger wrote of his home being haunted by an old man with a long white beard. This recording is only one of the first recorded haunted houses, which makes you wonder when and how haunting started. All right, so we're talking about actual haunted houses. Yes. <laughs> Two, if you buy a haunted house, the seller must let you know. People buy houses all the time, and in some situations, the owner must let the buyer know certain things. For example, it is illegal in some states in the USA to sell a home suspected of being haunted without letting the buyer know. 
Failure to do so could result in the new buyer reversing the transaction and getting their money back. On the flip side, the new buyer may have trouble reselling the home if they aren't made aware of the ghost in time. Number three. I wonder if that's uh, something in Ohio. I'll have to look it up because um, <laughs> my brother's ex, well, no, it's my brother's like current wife. He, uh, her house that she lived in before they got married is super haunted. What isn't your house? My house is haunted, life? but it's, it's haunted by my grandparents, okay? It's still haunted. <laughs> It's still creepy. Three, haunted houses have gone corporate and now make $300 million a year. As with many things today, haunted houses are most often thought of as Halloween attractions to scare you safely and for a small fee. Large attractions can make up to $3 million per year, while smaller attractions can make $50,000 per year. So, like, now I kind of want to go buy a haunted house and just make money off of it. (laughs) Sounds like I'll never live there, but <laughs> I will pay somebody to run the desk for me for sure. And I will walk in and check on them occasionally. Oh, God. More often, just with my ring camera that I would set up. And it would probably die if it's a haunted. <laughs> the ghost would be like, What is this bullshit nonsense? and kill my ring camera. Number four, Walt Disney created the first major for-profit haunted house in 1969. Before Walt Disney created his haunted mansion, most haunted houses were low quality and just cheap scare tactics. With the haunted mansion, Walt Disney brought to life all the scary parts of a real haunted house. Using state-of-the-art technology, they made ghosts look real and witches talk. It was a full interactive experience that had not been seen before in a haunted house. Thank you for that, Walt Disney. (laughs) That is one haunted house that I will go to repeatedly. And willingly. Number five. There are now more than 2,700 corporate haunted houses in the United States. And when we say corporate, we mean that you have to pay to enter. There's no count on how many real haunted houses are out there. However, there is a haunted house association with membership, and that membership is over 2,700 in the United States alone. And you can also find their, like, they have a website with their upcoming events listed. So if you're interested, Trisha. (laughs) Six, most haunted houses are now run by charities. While haunted houses may be making a lot of money, around 80% of all haunted houses are run by or benefiting local charities. So the money is flowing back into the community and helping people. Number seven, haunted houses are becoming less about ghosts and more about shock and fear. Yeah. Before corporations took over haunted houses, it was generally considered that a spirit was haunting the home and may cause cold spots or move items around the house. You may even hear some noises in the basement. Nowadays, haunted houses are about shocking you with extreme fright and fear. People may be jumping out and grabbing you or chasing you. You may be eating strange and disgusting things. No thank you. So the shock factor is being increased and the competition is high to be the scariest haunted house. 8. Haunted houses are awful for your heart. Don't enter if you have a bad heart. I feel like that one's self-explanatory. I was like... (sighs) 
Nine, if you die in a haunted house, people might not notice. I was going to say, that's also another thing, yeah. With live performers running around haunted houses or jumping out at you, there are plenty of scary things going on. Unfortunately, there have been multiple occurrences in the U.S. since haunted houses have become popular, where performers get into trouble and nobody notices until it's too late. Ten, real haunted houses may simply be carbon monoxide poisoning. Some theories on real haunted houses suggest that carbon monoxide poisoning is the cause for people to believe their homes are haunted. Many haunted houses have been investigated and their carbon monoxide levels tested to be extremely high. They are often older houses with older appliances and most often hauntings are reported during the winter months. Carbon monoxide poisoning has the symptom of feeling like you're being watched, hearing noises like footsteps or voices, hallucinating, and dizziness. So, it's a good theory. Yeah. Number 11, most haunted houses trace back to somebody dying in the home. Self-explanatory again. (laughs) 12, evolution has made us afraid of haunted houses. When you step into a corporate haunted house, it's obvious what scared you. People are explicitly trying to scare you any way they can. However, why do some homes get a reputation for being haunted and scare us when nobody is trying to? Psychologists believe aspects of haunted houses push buttons that we've evolved to be afraid of. These are things like, if somebody tells you a house is haunted or there is a problem, you may not be able to see it, but now your brain is thinking about it. It wants you to get out of there to avoid any potential harm, so your brain is urging you to brain away fast. Another evolutionary trait is hearing strange strange noises and being afraid. If you hear something you can't comprehend or that maybe could be dangerous, your brain wants you to run as well, so you've evolved to be afraid of the unknown. And I think that that's a very interesting, like, thought, because if you think of the older generations, like, before we had internet and all that, like, it's specifically i am thinking of latina cultures and how they rely on their ancestors and asian cultures is another great example yes but how they like relied on their ancestors and their ancestors ghosts to give them guidance and all this stuff and now we're like yo that's creepy as shit don't be Some talking of to y'all the are like that and i'm like yes <laughs> uh, no 13. The Great Depression in the U.S. gave rise to haunted houses again. During the Great Depression, the pranks that young boys played started to escalate. People already angry about money issues were increasingly enraged by the pranks and costs the pranks were causing. These pranks were certainly not what you would expect today, and they ranged from stealing gates to stealing dead bodies. Many communities decided to organize haunted houses and Halloween events to bring all young boys together and away from the town to keep them busy and out of trouble. 14. The U.S. White House is considered the most haunted house in the country. I didn't know that. There have been numerous sightings of various ghosts and entities at the White House. Winston Churchill and even Ronald Reagan experienced and talked about seeing ghosts here. Yep. 15. Pitlock Mansion in Portland is home to happy, friendly ghosts. Now, I would voluntarily go to that one. (laughs) If I can guarantee that I'm not going to be fucked with, I will go to a haunted house. We'll do it. 
Um, so when you think of haunted houses, you think of evil spirits and ghosts stuck there due to murder or unexpected, unexpected death. However, the Pitlock Mansion in Portland appears to be home to happy ghosts who love to play. It's kind of like Casper. It's believed the house's original owners didn't have time to live there long enough before they died, so they are spending their ghostly existence enjoying their home and being gracious hosts to anybody that comes. Actually, that sounds more like Beetlejuice. <laughs> 16. British haunted houses were originally not ghosts. In Britain, haunted houses were originally thought to be fairies living in them and playing tricks on humans. However, it wasn't until the early 1900s that this idea shifted to being ghosts living and haunting the houses. See, that's something I really want to do. I want to go overseas to some of the haunted places. Because we, we say, like, there's haunted shit here. No, in, like, England, Ireland, like, all the... Yeah, I think we're like so much history. There's so much history. Some of those places are so haunted. Yeah. I would probably pee my pants, but I would enjoy it. Mm. <laughs> I will go over the pond with you, but I will not do I'll just leave you at a pub. Yes. Sounds great. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Although we have to be careful because there are pubs that are haunted. At least I would have liquor. <laughs> 17. Some governments use haunted houses as punishment for their citizens. I am not committing crimes there. 18. The first modern commercial house was in 1915 called the Orton and Spooner Ghost House. The Orton and Spooner Ghost House was the first commercial built haunted house. It was explicitly set up to create a fake haunted house to sell tickets and make money. Prior to this existing, houses were used and then reverted after the event. So kind of like how, you know, uh, the spirit Halloween stores come up and go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 19. Haunted houses are vying to become the scariest and offering rewards for people who can stay inside. I mean, there are fucking See, haunted houses. See, those are ones I don't like. That you have to sign waivers. Yeah. No. No, thank you. McCamey Manor in Tennessee <coughs> okay. has previously offered $20,000 if you can stay inside. Hell nah. I mean, I need $20,000 real bad. But no. 20. Haunted houses are costly to operate, sometimes requiring $100,000 or more. I can see that. And that is the end of my fun facts for haunted houses today. So thank you for joining on this episode of the Hot Mess Express. You can find us on our socials. We have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. They are all tequila she wrote across the board. We also have our email if you want to email us any cases to look at, any drinks to try, any last calls, any... um. Words of affirmation. <laughs> Tequila she wrote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon set up for as little as two dollars a month. You get ad free episodes and you get a little bonus episode. And then if you pay a little more, you have even more bonus content. So definitely jump on over there. See if there's anything you might be interested in. Sign up. Let us know if you think there's something we're missing out on. Anything like that. Easiest way to find us is by going to patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote. 
And then you can also just go to our socials, click on our link tree, and should have a direct link there. And if you're struggling, reach out. We'll do our best to guide you. And yeah, I guess with that being said, happy Halloween, and we'll see you next time. Toot toot. Beep beep. <laughs>